Pastor Sarah, and this is K Church, a weekly podcast brought to you by Karcher Church of the Nazarene in Nampa, Idaho. I'm Pastor Wink. With this week's podcast, we are continuing the series brought by Dr. Les Moore from the Book of Psalms. Pastor Les is the interim pastor at Karcher Church, and today's message will continue to focus on Psalm 23, the Shepherd Psalm. That's right. However, before we begin the podcast, Mark and I want to take a moment to welcome you to the Karcher Church online community. We reference this online church as K Church. The two of us want you to know that you are loved and that you are cared for, and that we as pastors are available to offer you pastoral care that is an extension of Karcher Church. Pastor Mark and I are here for you. Following this teaching from Pastor Moore, we will provide you with a little more information about K-Church and how you can connect with us and with this community online. So let's get started with Dr. Moore's series on the Book of Psalms. Hey, well, this morning I want to spend a little time in Psalm 37. And, and then next Sunday, we might kind of wrap up our, our, our time in the Psalms. I'm not sure yet. No promises, but we might move along. Uh, but next Sunday, I, I want to talk about this reoccurring theme in the Psalms. Uh, it's a metaphor of the, the shepherd and the sheep. It's so prominent in the Psalms, and it'd be a good place for us to just kind of wrap things up. The, the shepherd and the sheep, we're going to be the sheep, by the way. Did you know that? <laughs> Can you get a, give me a good bad this morning? Yep, okay. So that'll be Psalms. Uh, uh, well, I'm not going to tell you where that is. Not the Psalm. It's part of the Psalms, but uh, the, the whole metaphor of the shepherd and the sheep. Now, this morning, Psalm 37. So take your Bible. Did you bring your book? Bring your book and... Uh, on, in the early 70s, uh, while you're turning there, uh, there was a man by the name of Earl Lee. He and his wife Hazel, uh, they had served in India as missionaries for 20 years. And I met Earl Lee as a pastor in Pasadena, California, when I was in school there in college. And I sat under his ministry some, learned to love him well, invited he uh, and Hazel to come to a couple of my churches that I pastored to speak. A wonderful man of God. I, he was a mentor for me. I learned so much from him. And then one year he wrote a little book off of Psalm 37. Uh, in fact, um, how many of you ever heard, anybody ever heard of Earl Lee? Uh, I see a bunch of you have, yeah. Um, Psalm 37, and um, uh, he wrote this little book. It's just, just a small thing. It became a classic. It's called The Cycle of Victorious Living. And, and in it, I, I think he draws, it's been a long time since I've seen the book. I think he draws a circle that represents a cycle. And we're going to talk about that circle this morning. And I'm going to steal a few thoughts from him uh, today as, as uh, we go through the word. You know, you don't, you don't preach for 40 years or so uh, without taking the best of the best of everything you've ever heard, learned, read, and all of that, and then you bring it to the Word of God and you bring it to the people. Amen? That's kind of what we're doing here. Uh, it kind of reminds me of an old farmer who said, I milked a lot of cows, but I churned my own butter. I milked a lot of cows, but I churned my own butter. <laughs> Oh, good. Thank you. All right. I got a courtesy laugh up here. So we take the word of God and we let it settle into our hearts. And here's what I believe about this passage today. I believe that if you will allow God, he will do something in your life through this word. You see, his word will not return to him void, first of all. That's his promise. 
So I have confidence that all I got to do is preach the word and God's word will come to him. It will never return to him void. Uh, He will bless his word in our lives. So if you will open your heart to him today, he will do something in your heart. But again, he'll never kick the door down to your heart. He will invite you to open it so he can step in. So I want to read um, a few verses here of Psalm 37. And because this is God's word, I'm going to invite those of you who can uh, to stand with me to honor his word as we read it, starting with verse 1, Psalm 37. Now do not fret because of evil men, or be envious of those who do wrong. For like the grass, they will soon wither, and like green plants, they will soon die away. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell on the land, enjoy safe pasture. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Oh, I love that. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will do this. He will make your righteousness shine like the dawn. And the justice of your cause, like the noonday sun. Be still, or rest before the Lord. And wait patiently for him. Do not fret when men succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. You refrain from anger, and turn from wrath. And do not worry or fret, it only leads to evil. For evil men will be cut off. But those who hope in the Lord, they will inherit the land. Now thank you, Lord, for your word. This is your word that we have hidden our heart that we might not sin against you. Thank you, God, for the reliability, the honesty, the openness of your word. It never tries to hide anything. And yet, Lord, it it exposes who we really are. It lays it out so you can change us and bring us anew. So, Father, thank you today. Bless you now. Hide the messenger behind the cross. Anoint his lips. And may we see no one today but Jesus. And Jesus only. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Now, I want you to just think about uh, this. The first words you notice in, in this passage are the two words, fret not, or do not worry, do not fret. Depends on the, the translation you have. Uh, the one that we have says, do not fret. Uh, the King James, uh, it says, fret not. Another translation says, don't worry, be happy. Uh, no, no, not, it doesn't say be happy. Uh, Sorry, that was a song I remember. Yeah. Don't worry is what it says. Do you find it interesting that for human beings, one of the things that's common to all of us, wherever we go, anywhere in the world, it doesn't matter where you go, humanity deals on some level with this little idea we call worry. How many know what I'm talking about? You kind of, you, you might deal with this in your own life, but you've seen it in your world. Um, you know, when I was in Africa uh, some years ago, uh, I've been going to Africa for about, uh, a little over 10 years now, and I've been working with leaders there, raising up, uh, raising up uh, men and women out of uh, seminaries and colleges, and they planted churches that I've supported. And so I provided the, the, the umph, the, uh, the resources, the people uh, to come from America to help them do that. And we do the Jesus film and all that stuff, and it's an incredible thing. But a, a man that I, I met, 
in, in Mozambique. He lives in Mozambique. His name is Albino Banda. Um, he's, uh, he's a district superintendent. He oversees churches. In fact, he and his brother, Benjamin, they oversee tens of thousands of Nazarene Christians. The church is exploding there, especially under Benjamin's ministry. Um, the last time I was there, uh, I met with the leaders, just the cream of the crop of 35,000 new Nazarenes. And they're asking me, how do, you, how, do you, how do we manage this? It's a good problem to have, but the gospel is going forward. Uh, Albino, uh, he hasn't been familiar with America very long. He came to a, a general assembly of sorts, and he told me the story. It was so funny. Now, here's a guy who lives in the arena of grass huts, straw on the roofs. He lives in the big city, but that's his ministry area. It's kind of like, you might say, uh, it's, it's a, a jungle area, area, actually. And so he lands in the United States after a two-day flight. They pick him up. Have you had anything to eat? No. Well, do you like chicken? Oh, yeah, I love chicken. Well, let's go get some chicken. He's thinking they're going to drive to somebody's house. You know, they got to pluck the chicken. They got to cook the chicken, get it all ready. That's what they do there in Africa. But instead, they drive up to a, a little box, and the box starts talking. He's telling me this story. And he's going, I, I, it scared me for a minute. I, I thought there was a demon in the box. And, and this uh, guy goes, well, what do you want? And the, the, the driver says, well, we're going to have some chicken. And, and then he drives to a window and he gives them some money and he's trying to process this. It, you know, when you come from a place where it's nothing but dirt floors, dirt walls, no electricity, no running water. Um, and now all of a sudden a box is talking to you. You can imagine what that would feel like. And, and, and he said, furthermore, he said, they go to the third window, they give us a bag, and we drive away, and I'm going, where's the chicken? Well, it's in the box. He was totally surprised. But here's why I tell you about Albino Banda, one of my dear brothers. Love him dearly. Uh, just a few years ago, I was there, and uh, we were planting churches in Mozambique, Tet, Mozambique and a little place called Sherodes. Every one of these churches we planted, they have planted three to five churches beyond that. Talking about multiplication of the gospel. It's been incredible. Albino picked us up, actually in Malawi. We drove across the Mozambican border and another three or four hours to his place. We get to his dirt road by his house and... I'm in the left-hand seat. He's in the driver's seat on the right. Two or three people in the back seat. And he starts crying out to us. He's remembering his life before I met him. He said, you don't know this, but he said, before you, I met you, my, my life was, he, he called it black. He said, all I could see was black. It was all black. He, he was so worried about his family. You see, there they don't get paid. District superintendents, pastors, they don't pay them. They have to make their own source of income. And he had lost all of his source of income from robbery. Someone had beat up his brother. The, the story was, the stories are terrible. Or his son, beat up his son. And he was telling us in the dark, driving down this dirt road, going to his house. He was telling us how he had lost all hope. He felt God was not there. He didn't know what he was going to do. His kids could not be educated. He did not have any money to feed his family. 
He said, I was so hopeless, I was in depression, and, and I, I, I was in my bedroom, I would not come out for weeks. It was just black, I could not see anything. My, my life was hopeless. And then he said, I got a call from a guy by the name of Les Moore. Why I called him as a Nazarene pastor in Eugene, because I had heard about his ministry, and I asked him to come to America. That, that he might speak to us about the needs in their country. And so he came and he said, but since you called, everything has changed. That's the way he put it. Now we're driving in a car and he's turning around and he's yelling at us louder than I'm talking right now. He's yelling about what happened in his life. He said, everything's changed. And he said, I realized my worry had depressed me. It had defeated me. I was sunk down. I, I didn't want to talk to anybody. I never came out of my bedroom. I quit eating. He was in depression. He was clinically depressed. That's how he described. God spoke to my heart right there and said, this man, he is your responsibility to care for, to raise up, to minister to, to support. And, and that's been my last 10, 12 years with Albino Banda and his area of ministry. I'm just telling you, I don't care where you go. I don't care the color of your skin. I don't care what language you speak. We all deal with this little thing called worry. And for some of us, it's, it's like a machine. It never quits. It's like the Energizer Bunny. It just keeps on hopping, coming against us, pushing us against the wall. And yet the scripture says to us, do not fret, do not worry. In fact, one of the things I find that's interesting that on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus in chapter six, verse 25 of Matthew, Matthew records this. Jesus begins to tell the crowds of people, he talks to them about worry. And in a nutshell, he kind of boils it down to four or five things. And they're all things that we worry about today. He said, first of all, don't worry about what you're going to eat or drink. Don't worry about the clothes you're going to wear. Don't even worry about tomorrow. He says, tomorrow will worry about itself. That's a pretty cool statement. I prayed with a man after the first service who came up and said, Pastor, I got some real problems with worry. And he was all worried about tomorrow. I said, well, let's just follow scripture. Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow is going to take care of itself. He said, don't worry about your life. That's what Jesus told them. And I think if Jesus were right here today, he'd say the same thing to us. Look at, look at, don't worry about those things. By the way, how many pairs of shoes do you have in your closet? Woohoo! How many shirts do you have? Have you noticed that uh, I, I, I pretty much always preach in jeans? No, you never, you didn't notice that. You know why? I don't own a suit. I own one tie. It was my dad's clip-on. The only time I put it on is for weddings or funerals. You know why? I've given all my clothes. I, give, I probably had 15, 20 suits. And when I saw my African brothers and sisters who had nothing, I saw their shirts and they were always ratted all over the place. None of them fit. Their pants were always too big or too small. My very first time I went, I gave all my clothes to the band who was my translator for a week in Malawi and another guy in Mozambique. And then every time I went back, I took my suits and I'd give them away. So now, I like jeans way better anyway, so <laughs> it's my excuse. Yeah, I've, I've learned. First time I came back from Africa, I stood in my hallway and I began to weep. I literally began to weep. I was moved so deeply. 
And my wife, Linda, looked at me. She said, honey, you're okay? And I said, no, I'm not. If you've seen what I've seen the last few weeks, I feel like I'm the richest man in the world. I just stepped out of a dirt hut, and I'm in a beautiful home in Eugene, Oregon. What do you worry about? I mean, the reality is we all worry about something because it's the enemy's tool in our life. He will try to make us fear and worry. The scripture I quoted to my brother this morning as I prayed is God has not given us the spirit of fear. No, or worry. And so the scripture says, don't fret. And Jesus says, don't worry about your life. <laughs> Quit worrying about your clothes. Quit worrying about the things that don't matter. And here's how he wraps it up. I love this. He says, if you will seek first God and his kingdom and his righteousness, all of these things will be given to you. Check it out. Matthew chapter six. Matthew recorded it. Just seek God. Seek his kingdom. Seek his righteousness. Now, it's an interesting thing when you come to this uh, little word, uh, worry, in the, in the Old Testament. It, it's a pretty cool thing. Um, it's kind of like a jingle of sorts. The literal translation of the word worry here is don't get overheated. <laughs> Anybody here ever get overheated? How about the guy next to you? Huh? Come on. Just... Just go ahead and poke at him a little bit. He's talking to you now. He's talking to you. Yeah, don't get overheated is the translation. Kind of reminds me of a car. When I was a kid, back in the 50s and 60s and 70s, you remember all the cars that used to be pulled over the side of the road? The steaming, spewing, hot gases. We don't see that very much anymore. We got to figure it out. But when I was a kid, I still remember tons of cars all the time. In fact, my dad's own car. We'd have to pull it over because it get overheated. Well, that's the translation here. Don't get overheated. Here's what happens. The scenario, we start... Um, we start worrying about something at three in the morning. Woo Anybody want to testify? And then all of a sudden that worry goes to this worry. Come on now. And then, then I go to that worry. And before you know it, my worries have piled on top of each other and I'm overheated. I get all worked up inside and I can't sleep. Um, it kind of reminds me of, you know, Charles Schwartz and the Peanuts cartoons. Charlie Brown one day, he was talking about, he was so worried about all kinds of things. He just cries out, my anxieties have anxieties. <laughs> Overheated. They, they just pile up on top of each other. The reality is every single one of us here is going to worry about something unless we find a way to defeat it. The psalmist understood the grip worry can have on our lives. So he says it twice. We read it twice in our passage. Do not worry, he says. Don't worry because of evil around you. Uh, hello? Hello, is there evil in your world? Have you seen it? Can you smell it? He's saying, don't worry about that. Don't worry about evil men. And he, and he kind of lays it out. And then he says, don't worry because your worry will only lead you to evil. Okay. Now you got my attention. I, I guess we all, at some time or another, can confess I have a problem with worry. Um, 
So pray tell, how do you stop uh, the worry machine? How do you stop it? Well, Psalm 37, we find this little formula that kind of gives us victory over worry. It's somewhat cyclical. Uh, Let me show you on the screen. Can you guys put it on the screen for me, please? So we'll have a circle, and at the top of the circle, you'll see at 12 o'clock, you'll see verse 5. At 3 o'clock, verse 3. At 6 o'clock, verse 4. 9 o'clock, verse 7. And the very first thing it says is fret not, verse 1. The way you start to defeat worry is by entering the circle at 12 o'clock. And that's found in verse 5. So let me read it to you. Here's what it says. Commit your way unto the Lord. That's the first step to overcome worry in your life. Just commit your way to the Lord, God. I'm going to give my way to you, I guess. I'm just going to give my life to you. That's what he says. Commit your way. That's the first step for victorious living. Uh, So, um, what does that mean, committing your way to the Lord? I mean, uh, committing your way to the Lord, what does that mean? Well, let me ask you, what are you worrying about? You might start there. By saying, Lord, here it is. Committing whatever it may be to the Lord. It's a worry stopper when you say, God, it's not mine anymore. It's yours. I don't want it. I can't carry it anymore. You take it. I give it to you. Whatever situation, whatever circumstance, what is it you're worrying about? Is it is it a financial thing? I mean, that's a very common thing to worry about finances. Is it a family thing, a relationship, uh, something gone wry? Is it a family issue? Is it a future issue? Is it a health issue? There's all kinds of things we could worry about. So what does it mean when I'm going to commit? Well, I really wanted to know. So I went to Rabbi Google today or this week, went to Rabbi Google to check it out. And Rabbi Google took me to Webster Dictionary. You know what Webster Dictionary says? Webster Dictionary, according to Rabbi Google, says to perform, to do, to submit. So to perform, to do, to submit. Now don't go Nazarene on me. Don't do that. We're talking spiritually about how I commit, how I do this, how I give it, how I submit it to the Lord. It's an objective opinion, by the way, Mr. Webster is. It's objective. It's also an action. It's something that I choose to do. No one can make you commit or submit. You can do it outside, but not inside. To do it of the heart, you're the one that has to do it. So, Lord, I, com- I submit, I commit to you. Maybe start with committing your worry. Lord, I'm a worry wart. I just give that to you today. I commit to you my way. You know, the problem with, with us is our culture. Our culture um, has a subjective definition of commitment. Uh, let, me, let me illustrate that. Um, Okay, I love songs. So here's a song for you. Back in, when I was a kid, back in the 60s, uh, there was a young woman that, that wrote and sang a song. I think her name was Gail Garnett. Um, we'll sing in the sunshine. We'll laugh every day. Anybody know that one? We'll sing on the sunshine. 
then I'll be on my way. Yeah, you know that one, huh? Okay, verse 1. I will never love you. The cost of love's too dear. Now that's commitment, huh? Right there, huh? But though I'll never love you, I'll stay with you one year. <laughs> but we can sing in the sunshine. <laughs> you get it. That's very subjective. I'm going to love you as long as I feel like it. I'm going to be committed to you as long as I want to be committed to you. But then I'm going to sing in the sunshine. It's highly subjective. But when it comes to God, God's understanding of, of commitment is totally different. It's, it's objective. You might even say it's absolute. When God talks about commitment, he's talking about something that's, that's very strong. In fact, um, in, the, in the Hebrew language, which Psalm 37 was written in, the literal term there is, is to roll. So you roll something, you roll it. Uh, Psalm 22, 1 Peter, has the same kind of concept. You roll your heavy burden on to the Lord. You roll it off of you, and you roll it on to the Lord. You roll it to Him. That's what commitment means to God. You just, you just give it away. You roll it. Um, as kids, when I was in junior church, I still remember singing uh, this song. Roll away, roll away, roll away. Right? I think there were even some actions to that one. Kind of like, how do they go? Uh, rolled away, rolled away, roll away every burden of my heart, roll away, right? Um, yeah, we sing this theology for our kids. So they get the idea of commitment. We're rolling away our burdens, our worries to God. We're laying them on the Lord. <laughs> kind of reminds me of a mother I heard of, uh, well, she's a mom of two, two little boys. Away. <laughs> yeah. It means to roll your burdens away. Commit to commit what? Commit what? Well, commit your ways. I said that wrong because it's not plural. Commit your way. Commit your way. In other words, commit your life to the Lord. That's where you enter the cycle in verse 5. You commit yourself to God. See, Lord, here I am. I give it to you. I no longer want it. Now, you'll find the second step in verse 3. Take a look at it. It says, trust the Lord and do good. I really like Earl Lee's ideas, his thoughts on this idea of, of trusting. Um, he says two things. First of all, he says, lean hard. Secondly, he says, trust with hands down. So let's talk about lean hard. Um, how hard are you leaning on God? So if God moved, game over. Uh, let's see, is my son Andy here someplace here? Andy, where are you? Are you? Well, oh, there he is. Come on up, Andy. Uh, you have a friend by, I think, by the name of Jacoby. Is Jacoby here? Jo Come on up, Jacoby. All right, there you are. Okay. Uh, is CO here? I've got a friend by the name of CO. He's been coming. Is CO here today? I don't see CO. Okay, I need, I need, all right, come on, Greg, come on up here. Okay, I want you three guys, come up here. Okay, come up here. You guys are going to represent the Trinity. You're going to turn this way right there. Okay, you're going to stand there. You're going to stand right behind him. You're going to stand right there. Okay, here we go. These guys are the Trinity. Okay, now, uh, quit talking. Okay, okay, now, I'm standing with them, but I'm not leaning real hard. If they moved, I could still stand here, probably. I'm going down a little bit. I, you know, if they moved, I could catch myself. But now I'm starting to lean. All right, not. Okay. You notice, 
if they move, what happens? To, don't you dare move. <laughs> if, if I move, I mean, if they move, what happens to me? I'm going to fall. It's a, I'm leaning on God so hard. I'm trusting him so hard that if God moves, it's, the game's over. It's done. You get the picture? You've got to lean hard on God. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Just lean on him. Lean on him. <laughs> now, now, let me show you something else. You guys just stand right there a second. Come here, buddy. Come here. Watch this. Come over here. Stand right there. Okay, let's try this again. Hmm? What do you think? Well, it ain't going to work, is it? Not going to work. Did you know it matters who you lean on? Did you, did you know it matters who you trust? I've had people tell me, well, it doesn't really matter what you believe as long as you really believe it. I'd like to take them to a bridge, 10 stories high, and say, you know, if you really believe you're not going to fall, you can jump and you'll be just fine. Yeah, right. It, believe, it, it matters who you believe on. Do not lean hard on the wrong thing, because if you do, you'll fall every time. But if you leave on the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, don't get big heads. Just, okay, you guys got this. Okay. Hey, give these guys a hand, would you? Okay, yeah, give them a hand. Uh, you know, for the little guy, uh, what's your name? Huh? Isaiah. Isaiah. He's a biblical guy. That was probably worth a dollar for Isaiah, wouldn't you say? Except I don't have a dollar. Randy, do you have a dollar I can borrow? Oh, somebody put a dollar up here for me already? Oh, well, this one's mine now. This one's mine. I, I need your dollar. Here, now. Oh, that's a five. Whoa, dude. You are lucking out today, huh? Huh? I owed you a dollar from first service. You can have it back. Hey, you got to lean hard. Now, let me show you something else. We're going to learn how to trust God by taking the things that we hold in our hands and giving them to God this way, hands down. See, when, my, when I say, God, here, take this, the minute he takes it, he starts, we can grab it, we can take it back. God wants you to trust him so much that you take the worry, you take the things that you're, you're concerned about, and you down. So when they drop, you can't grab that back again. It's gone. Lord, I give this to you hands down. I trust you. I'm leaning hard on you, God. So hard. I'm trusting you so hard, God. If this doesn't work, I'm, I'm in trouble. That's how hard I'm trusting you. And God, I'm giving you such a way I can't take it back. I'm giving it to you, Lord. So I'm asking you, what are you worrying about today? Because the truth is, every single one of us probably worrying about something, you know? Is it your kids, your grandkids? Is it your marriage? Is it your, what is it? What is it? We, we've all got something. We, God wants you to lean on him so hard for what you're worried over that you no longer worry. It's his. God, I'm giving it to you. I give it to you hands down, Lord. I trust you with it. You get, get that? Okay, now the next thing I want you to see, the third step, it is found in verse 4. And it's the word delight. D-E-L-I-G-H-T. And, and I love this, this scripture because it really, it's really come home to me. Delight thyself in the Lord and he will give you the desire, desires of your heart. You know that's a promise of the Lord? That if you delight in the Lord, um, God, I just, I love you, Lord. I, I praise you. I give you thanks for who you are in my life and who you are in my family and my marriage and my whatever. God, I just give you, I delight. I'm so grateful for you, Father. That's delighting in the Lord. And he says, if you delight in him, this is his word, not mine, by the way. 
If you delight in the Lord, he's going to give you the desires of your heart. You know how God can do that. He can do it because your desires are his desires. You desire what he wants for you. You want nothing that he does not want for you. That's a pretty cool place. I, I, I was vulnerable first service. I want to be vulnerable second service. I, this is not on my notes or my thinking. I just, it's where I'm living. I'm going to tell you where I'm living. I'm living in a place in my life now where I'm seeing this come to fruition. I remember my first church, I would, I'd spend an hour a day, maybe two or three sometimes, on my knees, in my office, weeping to the Lord, saying, God, I just want to serve you. God, show me how to serve the people. God, show me how to be a good pastor. I was such a jerk sometimes. I needed all the help I could get. Lord, just help me be a good man. Help me know how to follow your word, Lord. I want to delight in you. And then, um, you know, you preach this stuff and you go, well, is this true? If you delight, does he really give you the desires of your heart? Well, let me tell you one of the desires in my heart. All my life, my adult life, in fact, my, as a kid, I loved water. We, my family loved water. Every vacation, we'd take the boat, we'd go to Whiskey Town, we'd, we'd camp on Brandy Creek. Now, there's a place for a pastor, right? You'd go to Whiskey Town Lake, and you camp on Brandy Creek. All right. All we did was ski, fish, swim. That's all we did. We played in the water for two weeks straight. That's what we did with our kids. And you know where I live now? I live on a river, the Snake River. And where I live, it's over 500 yards to the other side. Every morning I wake up and I see ducks of every kind. I see deer. I see little mink. And I absolutely love it. And I go, God, have you given me? Well, actually, I gave it to your wife. Oh, yeah, okay, I'm with her. I'm with her, God. <laughs> Here's something I didn't tell for service. Here's something really cool. I was a part in Eugene of uh, the broader evangelical movement in Eugene, which is very important. It's a very liberal area. And there's a lot of anti-God, violent people there. Um, you see it, experience it every day. And so you join hands with your brothers, you know, the, uh, the Baptists, the, the Charismatics, the Pentecostals, the whoever they are. You join hands with them. You come under the umbrella of Jesus. I absolutely love it. You lay aside your differences and you focus on the person, the work, the nature of Christ. Amen, church. Amen. I love that. If your heart is right with my heart, put your hand in mine. That's what John Wesley said, and I believe that. I was at a prayer conference three years before I retired. Linda and I had just purchased property on the Snake River. If I was to try to do it today, forget it. Done deal. Wouldn't happen. And my retirement, as I've told you, my pension is about $255, $60 a month as a pastor, 40 years. Now, I'm not saying that for, I don't need this. I'm just telling you God's faithfulness. Are you with me? I knew that when I signed up. Done deal. Good deal. So Linda and I planned and prepared. That was important. But still, if we had waited till now, we couldn't afford where we are. And I love water. Two men who I was with in a prayer group prophesied over my life. One of them Pentecostal, the other one charismatic. I'm a Nazarene. <laughs> and one of them after we prayed, they were praying over me. One of them said, Les, I don't know what I'm seeing, but somehow God is showing me rivers of flowing water in your life. <laughs> Do you believe in prophecy? I don't know. 
Take it or leave it, you Nazarites. <laughs> but this guy was seeing water in my future. The next guy, who was from a community church, he said basically the same thing with a different scripture that God gave him. And it was about water running deep and still in my life. And he said, I don't know what that means. And when they got through talking into my life, I said, guess what? I've not told anybody this. This is very private. But I believe this moment's from God. Just a few months ago, my wife and I purchased a piece of property in Idaho, because that's where we're going to retire with our kids. And it's right on the Snake River. I began to weep. I saw the Lord's hands over me right there. Delight in the Lord. Delight in Him. And He will give you the desires of your heart. Okay, you don't believe it. Well, I'm living it. Okay, here's an acrostic. I got to go quick. I'm taking too much time. Here's an acrostic Earl Lee gives in his book. It's the word delight. Okay, let's take delight. We're going to start from the top to the bottom. Delight. D-E-L-I-G-H-T. Daily, everything laid into God's hands triumphantly. Are you with me? Not begrudgingly. Oh, God, go ahead and take this. You can have it. No, it's Lord, I want you to take this. Lord, I trust you with it. Lord, I bless you because I know your, my interest is your greatest heart. So I daily, I lay it into God's hands triumphantly. Wow. Now the last one is so beautiful. It's the word rest. Um, it's in verse 7. It's the way we, we kind of conclude this little cycle. So, so if, you look at this, if you look at the circle again, oh, back to the circle, guys, if you will. At the very top, we got verse 5, and we got the word commit. Then we go over to number 3, we got verse 3, uh, 3 o'clock, and we've got the word trust. Now we're trusting. And then we got delighting in the Lord. Anytime you quit doing one of those, you mess up the cycle. Are you with me? If you stop trusting, you got problems. If you stop delighting, you got problems. You got to continue to commit. Every morning when you get up, Lord, I give you this day. That's what I prayed over my brother today. Don't worry about tomorrow. Live for today. Jesus, I give this day to you right now. Whatever happens today is yours. Don't worry about tomorrow. That's what the scripture says. Now, the last thing, verse 7, rest in the Lord. Now, look at, look at what it says. My translation says, be still before the Lord. Wait patiently for him. Several translations use the word rest, rest in the Lord. In fact, the King James uses the word rest in the Lord. There's two actions to resting, two of them. Catch this. The first is to be still. That is settle down, relax, enjoy. Just listen to the voice of God. You're not talking, you're listening. You're being still. One translator puts it, be dumb. He doesn't mean intellectually. He means physically. Settle down. Be still. The second way in resting is waiting. Waiting on the Lord. Waiting for Him. In fact, we wait in two ways. One is we wait in time. Like the little song we used to sing, in His time, in His time. He makes all things beautiful. That's, that's a theology. God's timing is not ours. But in His time, if I wait on Him... If I wait on him, I will rise up as a eagle, eagle, says Isaiah in chapter 40. I'll gain my strength. So we wait on the Lord there. 
for his timing. Secondly, we wait in service. So we wait on the Lord. We serve him. Serve the Lord, the scripture says, with gladness. Gladness. In your heart. Oh God, I'm so glad to serve you today. And uh, I remind a reminder of the Hebrews writer. Let's labor, therefore, to enter into his rest. We serve the Lord, we wait, and we enter now into as we rest in the Lord. Um, Jesus promised us in John 14, 15, and 16. He promised us, uh, chapter 14, the deepest element of rest as our Savior. And it's called peace. So Jesus said it this way, my peace, my rest, my peace I give unto you. Not as the world gives, give I unto you. That's the peace, the scripture says, it passes all understanding. We don't, we don't understand it. I've seen people as a pastor go through tremendous crisis. Yet in the midst of the trial, I've seen the peace of Christ settle on their souls. They had this relationship with God when they were going through it. Okay, God, it's yours. I, Lord, I'm trusting you with this. I don't understand it. I don't like it. But God, I'm giving it to you. And therefore, the peace of Christ settles on them because they were resting in him. So what's your worry today? Have you committed your way to the Lord? Are you trusting him, really? Are you leaning hard on his answers in your life? If you lean hard on him... He will honor his word in your life. Are you praising him in the midst of the darkness? Sometimes it's in the middle of the it's in the midst of the praise that the enemy flees. When I was in college I had a 1935 Dodge pickup truck. It was a bucket of bolts. That's all it was. I drove it to Riverside Drive Church of the Nazarene every Sunday and every Wednesday, sometimes Saturdays. Sometimes I remember going on that crookedest highway in the United States, they say, Highway 1, Pasadena Freeway. And I remember cars sliding around in front of me and crashing, and the Lord always protected me. But I remember sometimes in the darkness, I'd begin singing praises to God. No radio, I'd just begin singing, Lord, I love you. And all of a sudden, the presence of God would come, and the enemy would flee. Oh, and the peace of Jesus would settle on my weary soul. Do you have that? Well, God's got it. He's got it for you. If you'll simply receive it today, but it's up to you. You must choose to not fear, to commit, to trust, to delight. The rest becomes as his result. Wow. Now, Lord, we need you today. We need you like crazy, Jesus. We live in this world that has gone awry, upside down, kind of crazy like on steroids. Lord, it pushes us to the wall. It causes us to want to fear, to worry about everything. Yet, Lord, you've given us an answer in your word today to simply trust you, look to you, turn my eyes upon Jesus, look full in your wonderful face. Today, Lord, we choose to do that. My friend, right now, as we close, would you just say to God, Lord, I commit to you. I'm going to commit to you my way right here. You may not even understand everything that means. That's okay. God's really patient. He will teach you. He's really patient with us. He's long-suffering. Lord, I commit this stuff to you right now. 
I trust you, Lord. I'm gonna, Lord God, I'm going to lean on you and I'm going to trust you in such a way I know the result is positive because you're the one that's carrying it. And Lord, in the meantime, I'm going to praise you. I'm going to delight in your name. I'm going to walk and walk before you, Lord, in righteousness. And I'm going to trust you, Lord. I'm going to wait on you. My friend, will you pray that with me this morning? Just pray it. Give it to him. And he will do the rest. That's what he does. He's in the people business. He's not in the building business. He's not in the program business. He's in the people business. He's in business for you. So if you'll trust him today, he'll do the rest. Trust and obey. There's no other way to be happy in Jesus. Now, Lord, we give you all praise and glory. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Well, wasn't that great? This is Pastor Wink, co-pastor of K-Church, along with my wife, Pastor Sarah. There are many opportunities for you to engage in our Karcher online community. Every Sunday at 10.30 a.m., you can catch our regular Sunday worship service on our YouTube channel. Just search for Karcher Church. If you want to learn more about Karcher Church or about our online K-Church, please check out our webpage with a super easy URL. Just type in karcher.church. You'll find out more about us as well as how you can contact each pastor or the church in general. Well, that was a great podcast. And I hope that you will take the opportunities that God will provide you to share what we are doing with others. It's simple. Right now, K Church is available on Anchor, Radio Public, Breaker, Pocket Casts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. And now we're on Apple. Just go to your favorite site and search for K-Church or Karcher Church. Let's finish with the word of prayer. Dear God, I just thank you for being here with us right where we're at. Thank you that you are a God who sees us. You are our shepherd and you take good care of your sheep. You love us so much and we are so thankful for that today. Thank you that uh, you are here with each person listening, wherever they're at. You know, you see, and you love them. Thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.